<laughs> it's time once again for another episode of the Franchise Business Radio Show. Broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel Studios in Atlanta. And now here's your host, Pam Curie. Good morning. Welcome to the Franchise Business Radio Show. This is your host, Pamela Curry. And um, I'm really excited to say that we have a guest co-host in the studio today. Never a dull moment. Always a good time here in the uh, studio of Pro Business Channel. Uh, I'd like to go ahead and first uh, share who's going to be co-hosting with me this morning. Uh, his name may sound familiar to you because he has been on the show before. John Q, welcome. Hey, everybody. How you doing out there? <laughs> the crowd goes wild, yeah. <laughs> once, once again. <laughs> once again, right? Stop the madness. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to really have a great show today. Um, we actually have a, a great guest as a calling guest, and uh, we're going to be talking about a really unique franchise opportunity. Um, it, it's actually a concept that many of you have um, are very familiar with, but um, we want to look at it on a different level, this kind of concept. We're going to look at it from a franchise perspective. And um, I'm, I'm kind of giving a little teaser here uh, with this particular guest because I, I've, I've been working with him, and I'm, I'm just really excited to have him on the show. Uh, with that being said, Rich, would you mind just giving a bio on who we're going to speak, be speaking with? Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, so Mark uh, Gooden is president in Storage uh, Authority Franchising. As a professional um, civil engineer, I was going to say uh, civilian, but everything uh, <laughs> <laughs> is professional civilian, um, uh, has designed commercial developments and self-storage facilities for over 25 years. His self-storage uh, expertise has been fine-tuned by designing, building, and managing three self-storage facilities he presently owns. Uh, Mark's experience um, from the trenches and his expertise in apartment in um, is apparent in uh, two best-selling marketing and planning self-storage books available on Amazon. Mark is also uniquely positioned to provide simple, straightforward, and effective guidance in achieving uh, industry-leading service and profits in the self-storage industry. So, uh, Mark, welcome to Franchise Business Radio. Thank you, and uh, you know I want to thank both John and Pam for having me on today. Absolutely. And uh, Mark, you know, again, Storage Authority is a uh, self-storage made easy franchise opportunity. And uh, if you don't mind, I, I think what would be really nice for our listeners is could you kind of give us a little bit of history here? Tell us a little bit about, about your background, your history, and what made you decide to take this concept that we all know. I know I've used storage units in my past and decide to franchise it. Well, it, it probably all started about uh, 25, 26 years ago when I uh, was in my civil engineering office, just a young, just a young lad, and uh, a gentleman came in, and, and uh, at 24 years old, he asked me to design a self-storage for him, and I said, sure, I'll be happy to design a self-storage for you. What is it? You know, that was back <laughs> in the early, early 80s, um, and since that time, for the same gentleman, I, I would design one a year for him. And I would notice he would be the only one 
that would after, after he left, he'd be going out fishing. He wouldn't be going back to work like all my other clients that were building, uh, you know, whatever else they might be building, shopping closets and, and, and neighborhoods and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and so it took me about a long time to figure it out. But eventually, I, like I said, I, I built my own self-storage. I built three self-storages, um, which I found the land I designed. I went through the whole process. And, you know, it was a very time-consuming. It took me a lot to, to understand that, that the concept and everything. And, uh, you know, as the years went on, you know, it used to be build it and they will come. You could put a self-storage mm-hmm. anywhere and it would fill up. Mm-hmm. It's no longer the case. You know, now you've got to build it in the right location and you've got to, you know, have sales and marketing. And, and uh, then it's a super successful business. But what that means to the franchise uh, end of it is, you know, for a while I was a consultant. I'd be called and, and I, I'd help clients and sometimes the same clients every, every year over and over with the same questions. But then my co-founder, Scott House, gave me a call about three and a half years ago, and he worked for apartment developers quite a bit and hotel developers, and he said their profits were dropping. They used to have 15% profits, and then it's you know slowly below 10%. He asked if I could help him out with, uh, with his, his uh, team to help these people build self-storage. And, and I started helping him out, but he, he realized that it was just more than an hour or two that it's a very long process, but once you had the process, it was a process you could follow. And he was in the hotel franchising world, and he said, Mark, this is a, a perfect business for franchising. Mm. Now, why isn't there any other franchises out there for, for self-storage like, like the hotel? And I said, you know what? You're right, Scott. It's an idea whose time has come. And, you know, we started the planning and, and, and the process about three years ago, and, and basically right now we're going full speed ahead. Wow. Well, you just hit on so many key points there that, um, and, and John and I are going to talk about this a little bit later about what what really does make a concept a franchisable concept. And um, a fragmented market is definitely one of those those key areas that really does well for franchising. Uh, so, why why self storage for the busy professional? Well, self storage is uh, you know the busy professional. First of all you know, doesn't have a lot of time. And so what we've developed is a manager-driven system. Um, we put together the platforms and the, the Internet and the, uh, the marketing and sales so that the manager can do that with the, with the coaching of an owner. And usually that owner is a very busy professional. Um, you know, it does take some money to build a, a, a self-storage. So typically it is some busy uh, individual that's been working and, and continues to work. And they can't afford to give up their job or they don't want to. And so they, they've looked for, you know, other ways of adding to their income. And there's not many other items out there, other businesses, where you can do it at the same time you're, you're doing your your regular career um and and then to make it even better you know where else can you develop a six-figure residual income in a sense (laughs) build a retirement nest egg at the same time and continue your career absolutely Um, thank you for saying that and one of the actually i was just having this conversation earlier with john and and i said you know what's so unique about this franchise opportunity and what makes it maybe a little bit less than the traditional franchise opportunity is very often people, when they get into franchising, uh, they have to have an immediate income play because they have to pay their bills. Uh, whereas this particular opportunity is, it, am I accurate and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, I really view this as an opportunity to be a, a true investment play 
uh, and a way to diversify and build wealth. That is exactly correct. And, you know, a lot of our franchisees, they get in because, you know, five years down the road, you know, you're, you're a doctor, you're an IT professional. You, you don't know what will happen five years down the road. And this gives them the opportunity to have any decision they want. They, they replace their income. They can t- continue to work or not. It's their, their, their choice five years down the road. And, you know, they don't have to worry about retirement because when you sell a self-storage, you know, the, the, the business itself, even though it's been paying you a monthly income, it has a, a very large value to it typically. So if someone wanted to get started in self-storage, I mean, what, what are the steps to make that happen? Well, there's a lot of different steps, but, you know, the, the first step is to do some, some research on, on self-storage to make sure it's, it's the business that you want to be in. You know, some people don't want to be in business, um, but, you know, it's pretty easy to do research. Um, there's, there's the national and local state associations. There's trade magazines you can order. So you have to make sure you want to be in business. And, and the great thing about self-storage is you don't do too much of anything. You do a little bit of everything. Yes, you've got to have an account. Yes, you've got to you know do some sales and marketing. Yes, you've got to keep your facility clean. So it's I, I think it's fun because you don't get bogged down in any one thing and, and putting it all together with customer service. It is something that that I truly enjoy. And I think most people that get into it and study it, it's something they're going to enjoy because. If you have it yourself, storage business in addition to your regular income, you know, you're talking about another five, six, seven hours a week above and beyond what you're doing right now, at least in the beginning until you really learn the process. But you've got to review self-storage. You've got to review your, your, your own goals. And then the next step is, you know, to decide if you're going to do it with somebody like us or you can do it on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you've made that decision, it's just a, it's a process of, of finding land, getting the, the proper designs and construction and then opening your doors on the, uh, on the, with the right platform. I, I like to say this, it takes, it takes four things, four main ingredients in self-storage. It takes expertise, it takes time, it takes money, and it takes systems and platforms to, to execute operations, marketing, and sales. Mm-hmm. And that's the great thing about franchising in general. Mm-hmm. We provide those things, um, you know, so, so typically we help in all four of those areas, um, and you've got to learn the other ones as time goes on. But we provide the background so you you know you have that experience to start with. Got it. Hey, Mark, uh, I was talking to a client of mine who leases um, office space, and he was bemoaning the fact that the, the self-storage industry is so much more profitable than the office industry. And I was sitting back trying to figure out why, and I guess it comes down to simple math that you guys rent by the cubic yard or the cubic foot, and office space is kind of square footage. And so it automatically makes you kind of nine times more profitable just uh, because you can lease up as as well as uh, out. Well, that is correct, as well as uh, several factors. If you take a look at the national, the U.S. National Self Storage Association uh, website, you'll see for the last 30 years running that self storage has been the most profitable real estate business in the United States. It's quite remarkable, and it's been a, uh, you know, a, a good kept secret until recently. Mm-hmm. But you know, so what that means is it makes more than apartments, it makes more than restaurants, it makes more than than, than many things. 
And it comes down to, to a couple of things. First of all, it's cheaper to build compared to these other um, yeah. entities per square foot. Mm-hmm. And you rent it more per square foot. Right. Um, so so that's, that's the great beauty about it. And there's a huge pent-up demand, so the pricing is going up right now. And, and so the few moving parts compared to uh, most other commercial real estate, right? With the uh, employees, all the requirements of uh, the tenant, right? Right. There's no painting. There's yeah. no backed up toilets. Right. No midnight calls. <laughs> right. And just a couple of and just yeah. a couple of employees. Yeah. Um, right. You know, I used to do real estate development before I did self storage. I owned apartments and I owned houses, and oh, I was hated when the phone would ring at seven o'clock at night and there was no heat. You have, there's no emergency in self-storage, and, and, and I love that aspect of that. <laughs> well, you know what, and that kind of really uh, leads into why this can be a, a very powerful opportunity, like you said, for the busy pr- business professional. Um, but above and beyond that, it truly is a concept that permits semi-absentee and passive ownership. Um, and, Mark, I, I think I can go out on a limb and say, you know, uh, more and more franchisors are saying that they are permitting semi-absentee ownership. But reality is, is it, is it really possible in certain businesses? I think, I think there's a real fine line that is being walked out there when, when certain franchisors are classifying themselves as semi-absentee. And when I look at this model, it does. It does permit that semi-absentee passive ownership for exactly the reasons you're just saying. You know, it, it doesn't have that day in and day out labor-intensive management of many aspects that go into a, a traditional business. Well, that that is correct. Um, it does take some coaching. Um, <laughs> Here's a funny thing about self-storage is, um, you know, in any business, usually some are run great, some are run average, and some are run bad. Mm. The, the, in in self-storage, 95%, 95 to 97% are run, are run what we call average, which is pretty bad. Okay. They, they have a clerk in, in the office who's not a salesperson, who doesn't know how to, you know, like a – you know, be a salesperson or any of that, any of that type of typical stuff you'd see with somebody that owns their own business. And, and the, the good news is these self-storages are making a great six incomes for their owners. Right. So what, our system oh, I'm takes sorry, it one step farther and, you know, we have the manuals, the training, the mm-hmm. operation. So we hire sales and, and marketing people to, to uh, maintain our offices. Um, and just to give you an example, the other, the other day I went into a self-storage. I'm always checking them out. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the girl behind the counter was watching a movie on the screen, and, and it took her a couple of seconds to even look up to see me. <laughs> um, and, and, but that, that is average in the self-storage movie. In, in ours, we, we have a script just like McDonald's. They have to walk around the counter, uh, you know, put their hand out and shake hands and say, hey, my name is Mark from, uh, you know, welcome to Storage Authority. Mm-hmm. How can I help you? And they actually have to call them by name three times. And those little features are, are going to make um, your self-storage so successful. Mm. Um, but, but, Mark, uh, I, w- I would think that most of the people that walk into a self-storage facility are already sold. They're not browsing. They're not taking the – they're not checking out the difference between, you know, what because – because it's all basically a cement pad. So I don't know that the sales factor, once you are opened and once you get your recurring revenue up, it is as crucial an item. And you're, I would imagine that having an initial sales hit team to get you 
to your critical mass of occupancy is is the biggest sale feature. And then once you get over and above that, you know, a certain percentage of those units sell themselves as people just sort of wandering in off the street that have stuff they need to put somewhere. Well, and that's what the whole industry believes. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to break the news right now. That is 100% incorrect. Ah, good. Um, 100% incorrect. And if you follow our system, you will double your profits. If you made 200000 at your mm-hmm. facility, there's not a facility that, that I practically I can't go into and double their profits. Because think about this. this the, average, um, uh, the average person who rents a self-storage checks out four to six self-storages before they rent. So that means they had a choice of choosing yours or, or five others. And, you know, half the time it's the last one they end up at. at. If they come into our facility, they are going to get that just right feeling. They love the landscaping. They loved that we knew their name and we talked to them and we had the questions. We showed the unit. We went through the whole sales process with them, as you would expect uh, somebody to do when you're bu- buying anything. Um, and then... It comes down to, with that just right feeling, we stop them in their, in their tracks, they rent with us. But lo and behold, our rates are 30% higher than everybody else's rates. And that's all profit, because in the self-storage business, everything after 50% full is profit. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Right. Um, nice. So if I can charge 30% more than my neighbor, um, it, it's a humongous difference, and that's exactly what we do. I mean, you can literally go to our to, to our... Our, our website and in the newsroom, you can see our rates and you can see our neighbors' rates. Um, what, what you said is, is, is a, you're thinking it's a commodity. And, and what I'm saying is it's not what's inside the four walls and that concrete pad. It's on what's outside those four walls that makes a difference. I, I think every business in existence wants to raise itself from the level of commodity. And that pulls price out of the equation. And that puts service into it. And I think every single business that exists is a service business. And so I think you're exactly right. And I think you're hitting hitting on a very key point. I couldn't imagine shopping four or five different storage facilities. But if you, if you say that's what people do, I, you know. Well, I, I, I got, exactly what they do. Yep. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I know, and actually, I am a I'm a walking example of that, having used a storage facility really? when I moved. Yeah, <laughs> when I moved out to California. Um, and I know, Mark. I know you did write a book on on marketing as well, which um, is it, it sounds like that's a big piece of what you're talking about. There's there's one thing when it comes to the real estate play, the construction development, the design. But there's that marketing side of the business as well. It's like any business. There are different pillars and legs that make it successful and that really rise you to the top. Right. And, you know, just like, just like John says, that, you know, what's the difference between a commodity and non-commodity mm-hmm. in this world? It's sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. And that's the platform that we've provided. And, and, you know, right now there are, you know, self-storage is mostly owned by um, individuals that own one or two facilities, you know, mm-hmm. 40, 30 to 40,000 of them. And then there's about um, 10,000 facilities that are owned by large corporations. And these large corporations now have so much money because they're literally given hundreds of millions of dollars a month by the teachers union, by all these people now that they know self-storage is so safe. 
and so they ha- they are starting to gain an advantage because you know they'll spend a million dollars a month on their website. They'll do all these things. Um, they still they're still lacking in in the, the sales and marketing, but when it comes to the internet, they can throw money at it. Anything they can just simply throw money at, they're good at. But they're going to be so price they're going to be price driven on that end of the market. I would I would imagine. Well, they, they, you know, they, they are very smart people, of, of course, so, mm-hmm. so they've got their trick. Um, what they do is when you move into one of these REITs, every, every five months and nine months, they raise your rent 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. They've figured out for $20, $19, they raise your rent, you won't move. So, <laughs> so they've actually figured out a, a trick, and, and you know, as, as an as a individual and on a hometown business, I'm not going to raise somebody's self-storage in $20 in, in five months. I'm just going to have a fair price. Um, and, but people, people are learning this, you know, they're getting mm-hmm. burnt with this. They don't move out, but next time they think twice before moving into, uh, one of these, um, these REITs that, you know, automatically raise their rents in five months and nine months. Makes it. So I, I mean, what are, I mean, obviously there's so many upsides to this business. What are some of the downsides or challenges of it? Well, there's a couple of things. Entry to barrier, barrier mm-hmm. to entry, is what is one of the things that keeps this thing so profitable. So, first of all, you you need four or five hundred thousand dollars cash. Um, Self storage is very loan friendly, and so we can get loans as low as ten to fifteen percent down. Those are SBA loans, mm-hmm. and if you you go that route, you can you know get a loan. Um, Some of you got good credit and everything um, for self storage. Not only based upon our experience, your business experience, but on the, the cash flow of the business. So that's one barrier to entry. You know, it's four or $500,000 um, to, to get in. Sure. The, the second barrier to, to get in this business is, you know, you've got to go through that approval process if you don't buy an existing facility. And so you do need some help to, to make sure you find the right piece of land. And when you find that piece, you know, that it's going to be a reasonable um, review process and a reasonable square footage on that property. Mm-hmm. And that's what? my expertise as a civil engineer, helping people go through that process. Um, we are very unique in that. And, you know, most companies like the hotel world, they would charge you fifty or 60000 to go through the development process with you. We don't charge anything for that because, you know, we're a new franchise and we know that's so critical. Sure. What 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 is your breakdown between location and cost of a particular piece of real estate, as far as a value well, proposition? Yeah, you know, if I understand your question correctly, and it varies throughout the United States. Obviously, something in in LA costs different than something in Houston that costs something in Denver. So, typically, the the land cost um, for a profitable self-storage where you're investing four or five hundred thousand dollars is somewhere between five hundred thousand and a million dollars to purchase the land mm-hmm. um the land well, well, i guess my question over, was much over a million versus 1.3 mm-hmm. you, you build you buy smaller pieces of land and you build up multi-story and multi-story um costs more to build so it's a larger initial investment right no but i mean as opposed to being uh, a little bit further away and getting a better deal on the land as opposed to being right there where you where you need to be. Um, what what kind of analytics do you put on that? Yeah, there is no difference between one location and another um, in that sense because what we do is we do a full feasibility study. 
So self-storage is, is a numbers game. It's, it's demand exactly. um, is driven yes. by the population. So we do a demand mm-hmm. study in your area. And, you know, you could be in the city and the demand study is going to come out poor because while you have a lot of population, you could have 10 self-storages in a three-mile area. You go out in rural America, you do a, a demand study, you, you might have one-tenth the population, but you also have one-tenth the competition. So you'll find out that both self-storages make the exact same profit. Um, Got so it. It, it's what we like to say is the best place to build a self-storage is, you know, is, is within half an hour of your home. It's the best place to build any business, your first business, is just easier. So we work with everybody depending on their individual location. So, uh, Mark, just kind of to, to wrap up a little bit here, such a, by the way, wealth of information. Uh, and, you know, I, I know you've written a couple books, uh, and those that want to do research on this can go online, and I want to give them your contact information. Uh, but before we uh, wrap wrap things up, I have one more question for you. I'll try to leave it at one more. I have a lot more in my head. <laughs> <but> <laughs> what uh, What is your vision for the franchise system? Like you said, obviously this is a, an emerging brand. Uh, what is your vision? Well, you know, it doesn't take a lot to to go from uh, a small part of the business to to a major player in the business. In, in fact, you know, if you own 25 self-storages, you're in the top 100 operators in the United States. So, you know, we can clearly see, you know, having more than 25 franchises. So, you know, we, we don't expect it to be that long before we're in the top 25 uh, um, op- operator groups um, mm. because it doesn't take a lot of numbers to do that. The largest operator has 2,000. And most of the REITs have five or 600 uh, units that either they manage, own, or joint venture. Um, so we see ourselves, you know, down the road, five years, being right right in the middle of those top five players, um, mm. with somewhere, you know, in, in, the, in the three to 300 to, to 1,000 uh, facilities as part of our, part of our storage authority team. It's going to take a lot of work, uh, a lot of good people, but self-storage is going to continue to be profitable and um, it's, it's going to be like the hotel business. 40 years ago, 50 years ago, there were no franchises in the hotel business. Right. And right now, if you want to go to the bank and get a loan, if you're not a franchise, they won't give you a loan. Right. So right. we see the same consolidation going, going to happen over the next 10 years in, in self-storage. Um, and, and we think we can be uh, uh, you know, the, the best opportunity for people that you know, really want to own their own business. Well, that's a nice combination between ambitious and achievable, I think. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So if someone wanted to get in touch with you, obviously they could go through me, which I, I would welcome uh, working with anybody and getting them connected to you. And if you wouldn't mind providing your social media handles and website and the best way to reach you. Well, first of all, I do agree that the best way is to, to speak with Pam. She's she's certainly an expert on franchising, and she know, understands our, our, our program very well and, and has that marketing material. Um, after that, you can certainly take a look at our website. It's storageauthorityfranchise.com. And, uh, you know, my, my direct line is 860-830-6700. And uh, just remind remind me when you first contact me that Pam sent you to me. 
I, uh, I like to keep track of those things. Well, thank you, Mark. And, and we always like to say, what's that number again? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's 860-830-6764. Great. And again, the website is uh, storageauthorityfranchise.com. Mark, it has been great um, having you on the show. Really appreciate you calling in. Wealth of information and uh, looking forward to continuing to work with you. Yeah, fantastic meeting you, you, Mark, and uh, continued success. Thank you very much. Wow, all righty. Now that was a wealth of information for all of our listeners. I I think we have a lot of people's out there, uh, their wheels are turning. Uh, I was so excited just listening. I'm thinking I should buy a, a self storage <laughs> oh, yeah. facility. I, I, I mean, what's wrong with that business model, right? I <laughs> right. mean, uh, I mean, definitely, John. From your expertise in terms of uh, people and financing, and and um, uh, uh, one of his opening statements was about uh, being able to kind of walk away from it and the retirement built in the residual. Oh yeah, right. right? Yeah, but, and one of the things that we can do is if we can acquire real estate hold on to it, pay basically ourselves rent for 20 years, that rent becomes an annuity, flips back to the franchise owner. So that is a, a very, 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 very strong and powerful tool. So um, the ability to own the real estate and get it inside the franchise business is a is a tremendous advantage. Yeah, like you said, because as a franchise, you're much more um, uh, funds are much much more available to you in that model. I mean, I've had rental properties in the past, but it's just like there's so much uh, moving parts of that. And mm-hmm. basically, you could have thirty, fifty, a hundred, or a couple several several hundred renters all under one roof. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk after the show, Pam. I need to, I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, need to contact come, you about that. We collectively yeah. come together <laughs> yeah. and, and figure out how to make this happen. Right. Well, and, and, and as he discussed, if, if there are people out there making money on just having customers fall into the door and just show up, imagine if you had a good, solid, stable franchisor behind you that had a realistic, good marketing approach to it, how much more quickly... Um, success would be achievable than trying to open your own place and hoping for the best. And you know know what this makes me think of, John, and uh, I just want to banter here with you for a little bit before we we wrap up the show. Uh, You were just sharing with me earlier uh, that you heard a commercial and uh, it really kind of got us <laughs> chatting about something. Uh, share the commercial. Well, it, it was a commercial that an individual business owner was running on the radio saying, we're not a franchise. We're locally owned and operated and support your local, your local businesses. And I was thinking how, how, how misleading that was because so many franchises are individual owners that are, that are local, that are... Um, that meet all the requirements that this uh, that this particular guy was talking about, um, and you're not necessarily dealing with a giant corporate headquarters. You know, there's a guy putting his kids through school. There's a guy, you know, with a family to support and all that sort of thing that own these franchises. And we're out there and we're trying to help them and we're trying to help them be successful. And um, I guess that that. How prevalent a misconception that is is uh, is is a topic for discussion. 
And a perfect example of that is is just on our show last month, you know, we had uh, a franchisee from Zaxby's. She is a multi-unit owner. Mm-hmm. But you're right. You're absolutely right. It, it is a local business owner, usually, in traditional franchising. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've got our multi-unit operators out there and investment groups and things like that. But usually, that local franchisee owner is very much involved. I mean, they're getting involved in the community. I mean, she was in the process of um, really focusing on uh, a fundraising effort for children's cancer research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a local business owner, franchisee, that um, is really getting involved in the community. And I think Zaxby's has a very good reputation for their franchisees doing exactly that and mm-hmm. being a being a part of the community. Yeah. And, you know, to me, it's it's also, when we just think about the franchise system, it's one of the strengths. You know, I would say franchising is a growth strategy using the, the talent and the money of others. But you're not going to get a, a more committed operator of a unit than someone that has an invested interest. They have, they are that local business owner. They do have an invested interest in the success of that for a lot of the reasons that, you know, that you were just mentioning. Right. Mm. Um, so uh, another little kind of myth we wanted to collapse there uh, uh, around that. Uh, so let's kind of talk about um, getting ducks in a row. Uh, let's A little bit about the matchmaking process. You and I were uh, chit-chatting about that earlier, too. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the questions that, that I always have is, you know, the selection process when you have so many opportunities for people to do, how do you hone in on that? And I think a lot of people tend to want to gravitate toward things that they are particularly adept at and maybe the opposite is the true is true because you want a, a franchise or that's strong mm-hmm. at things you're weak at, and is th- is that part of the process? Uh, yeah, it is. I I think sort of a, a myth very often when someone is considering a franchise ownership is that they need to have maybe that direct skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, you want to have confidence in your talent. Um, and your skills. However, part of the reason why you're becoming a franchisee is because you are having a dependency on what the franchisor is bringing to the table. That's what you're licensing the rights for. Uh, So yeah, it's definitely tapping into something that is going to uh, let's, let's just say that it's going to definitely utilize your strengths, your talents, in building that business. But that those strengths and those talents have to be complementary to what the franchisor is actually providing you. Uh, so it, it is really sort of a, a complementary match. I, I always like to use the analogy of painting, right? <laughs> I've had, I feel, well, gosh, why would I, why would I want to become a franchisee that does residential commercial painting? I know how to paint a room. Well, (laughs) it goes, it it scales much wider than that, right? It's not just knowing how to paint a room. Uh, It's how do you go about capitalizing on that brand? How do you go about um, capitalizing on the the fact that you are uh, part of a system? You're not just that independent individual out there trying to make it. How do you go about capitalizing on... Uh, economies of scale and, and being able to get, um, you know, the tools and the products that you need 
uh, because you have greater purchasing power uh, when you're part of a system. Uh, how do you go about capitalizing on those best practices for acquiring your customer base? Uh, what are some of the best sales and marketing strategies that are out there? Uh, so it's not just a painting business. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> uh, anything you'd like to add to that? Well, I, I, it is the multiplier effect and, you know, how much money you can make standing behind a brush as, a, as opposed to how much money you can spend or, or make being in front of a particular client or a set of clients. Mm, mm-hmm. And what can you do as far as in that particular case, you know, upselling, somebody comes in, uh, somebody calls you about painting one room, and if you can sell them to doing four and doing the outside, maybe doing some recurring revenue and coming back and doing a, you know, a contract to come back, you know, in a, in a period of time. But that, that's, how you, that's how you get the multiplier. And, yes, you know, anybody can paint a room who can paint it properly and who can find people that need it need it you done. i don't know if anybody can paint a room i'm just saying <laughs> you're you're in the studio with someone who cannot well, <laughs> <laughs> however however um i do you did hit on something and, and obviously the, the need to make money in any business that you're in um so when we think about matchmaking uh you know a big piece is is really understanding what does that financial business model look like what does the performa look like uh, what kind of advice can you give there? But, but let me finish with that and say that, you know, the skill maybe in that in that painting-type franchise is finding employees that will show up, that will do a good job, mm. that are either trainable or already skilled that are just looking for places to be and work. And I think that 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 might be the biggest skill set there, whether it's a maid service business or whatever. Just finding employees that will show up and will be conscientious in doing the job. And maybe your personnel or human resources skills are the biggest value add to that particular concept. Mm. Because you can sell all day long and people don't uh, appear to do the work, then you're not not getting anywhere. Good point. Really good point. Um, Yeah, so uh, absolutely. Again, so many different parts of the business that need to be managed too mm-hmm. and if it's a labor-based business hiring the right people uh, is going to be a huge differentiator and keeping those employees and making sure. sure they're happy and um, all of those things um, what what would for someone who is looking at franchise ownership uh, you know and they're they're going through that process right we, we all know the process they're they're looking at okay what is it I want want in a business? What criteria am I looking for in a business? Home-based, retail-based? Am I looking to uh, have product or service? Am I comfortable managing people or not managing people? Uh, Do I want to manage inventory or not manage to inventory? So we really want to take a look at all of these different Mm -hmm. areas of criteria to identify what could be some good businesses for consideration. Then we have to take a, a deeper look right. and say, we got to look underneath the hood and say, does this financially make sense? Right. Well, and can you let go of the stuff that you realize that you may or may not be particularly good at, mm-hmm. you know, and say, all right, I need to, I need to rather than create a pyramid of business, I need to create a hub and spoke and say, I'm not really good at this particular segment, so I'm going to subcontract that out. Mm. That's 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 the nature of my business, you know. Because forty percent of the people that start a business or buy a franchise say bookkeeping, accounting, and taxes 
are their number one fear and their number one reservation about actually going into business. Agreed. So if you can just take that and farm it out to me, that's one one spoke in the wheel you don't have to worry about anymore. And typically that's the thing that people are the worst at. That makes perfect sense. No, nobody buys a business because they want to do bookkeeping and payroll, correct? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. And then on the other side, you do need a solid financial uh, um, foundation. I mean, in this business that Mark was talking about, I mean, you look at the initial investment being very high, that leads to more of a passive investment. If your entry level is twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, you're gonna you're gonna have to believe that that's gonna be very labor intensive, very hands on, and something that you have to build for yourself. Mm, mm-hmm. So that's that's the cost benefit between what cash you have available and how much time you have available. Ah, uh, yeah, excellent point. Uh, with the um, so there's kind of two sides of, of that. You kind of have to take obviously take a look at before deciding what business you choose to license or franchise you choose to license. Uh, you have to look at things on the front end, um, right. and one of the key steps there on the financial side is is to make sure you're validating with those franchisees that are part of that system and really can speak to what their experience has been to get up and running and um, to start pulling an income out of it. Um, And then the other side, like you just pointed out, is on the operational side. Once you become a franchisee, you still have to manage (laughs) to the books. You have to manage those employees. You still have tax to worry about. And you're right. The average individual is not comfortable with that. Um, and, And that's where, obviously, your services come into play. Well, that's what, that's what we like to think and what we like to believe. You know, I was up in Chicago. This is a funny story. I was up in Chicago, and I went to a Dunkin' Donuts with a friend of mine one morning. And I don't know if it's the way I look around when I walk into a, a, a business, um, but I happen to have a lot of Dunkin' Donut clients. And I got my coffee, and I'm sitting down, and the owner came in and sat next to me. And he brought me a couple products that he was sampling, and he was thinking about using, what do you think about this? And I'm thinking about rearranging this. And, you know, I had a chat with him for about five or ten minutes. And, you know, my friend, after the guy left, said, how did he know? And I said, I don't know. I guess it's just the way I look around when I walk into a particular business. So my question for you is, do you do the same thing? Do you walk into a business and say, heck, I can sell 100 of these. This is a franchisable (laughs) concept. Or or this is, you know, they just happen to be in the lobby of a very crowded hotel and, and customers fall in and it's not a reproducible concept. Uh, yeah. do, you, do you do that same thing in your head? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I definitely do for, to some degree. As a matter of fact, um, I frequently have uh, founders of concepts. They come to me and say, well, I want a franchise. I want to franchise this. That's how I want to grow. <laughs> and um, you know, yeah that that sounds that sounds great on the surface, and franchising is mm-hmm. a wonderful growth strategy. But there definitely is uh, a feasibility um, assessment that needs to take place, um, and um, that's not something you can just walk in and look around and determine that yes, this is something that is franchisable. Uh, however. Um, if you start peeling back the layers and really start doing that assessment of identifying, uh, okay, what are some of the key criteria that really make this concept franchisable? Is it repeatable? Is it sustainable? Are there proven systems in place? 
John, is it profitable? (laughs) (laughs) We don't don't make any money, money. but we we have a lot of fun working here. Yeah, right, exactly. But I've seen restaurants that, you know, two, 300-year-old restaurants that are, you know, established, authentic, and quaint, or, or have been around forever. And then you just try to close your eyes and picture what that would look like in a mall or a strip center setting, setting with all their authentic stuff on the wall being plastic reproductions. Mm-hmm. And you go, that doesn't really translate, does it? Or mm-hmm. can it? Or how can it? Or what do we have to make different? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that for a franchise developer, I think that's that that would be a very interesting and fun part of the business. Yeah. Other things that I like to take a look at if uh, really trying to identify if a concept is franchisable is, is how many years have they been in the business? Mm-hmm. You know, Do they have a track record? Is there a degree of history? Uh, preferably a minimum of three years of operational history. Um, obviously, we need to have profitability and we need to build in some other percentages in that mm-hmm. financial model, such as uh, the royalty percentages, the um, the ad fees. So all of that has to be figured out. You know, does it financially work? Um, and, you know, and, and just taking a look at the marketplace. You mm-hmm. know, we're, we're always looking, okay, is this a fragmented marketplace? Mm-hmm. Kind of like we were talking about with storage authority. Uh, is it somewhat of a unique concept? Is it playing in a niche? I always, I always like, I kind of giggle to myself because I go, you know, is, is it really a new business concept or are they revolutionizing a business idea that's already been out there? And I'm going to use an example. I was just talking to a fellow consultant about this. Uh, and um, there is a maid service, uh, an emerging franchisor, two, uh, two maids and a mop. And uh, they're starting to get quite a bit of notoriety. And the reason is, is because they have created some technology apps that are allowing them to run that business differently. They're sort of revolutionizing maid service. Right. Kind of like Uber, right? (laughs) Uber. (laughs) Uber and Lyft, they took that, that... that taxi mm-hmm. service, and they revolutionized well, it. Yeah, you want to talk about labor-intensive business. I mean, that's what a maid service is. And, Absolutely. You know, if you got to have two people to clean a particular house, and you have to find the house, then you have to find the two people, and sometimes you have a lot of inventory of houses, and you don't have employees, or you have vice versa, and you have to grow those out together. Mm. The other downside is... Once you hire a maid, and she's very, very, very comfortable uh, with the owners of the houses she's working on, are they going to try to cut you out of the deal and mm-hmm. say, "All right, I pay the maid service a hundred dollars; they pay you forty. I'll pay you sixty, and we'll get rid of them." Right, and and every business has its different challenges. Sure, no question. Yeah, and then the question becomes: Is how how do you try to close that loop of the challenges that are out there? And with particular businesses. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that being said, um, you know, when you think about other, I guess. Well, that's why that, yeah. that application or, or those other things that you were talking about that this new service has, that makes it different. You're just not hiring two people. You are hiring a system. Again, going back to Mark earlier, mm-hmm. you're rising from the level of commodity to something that's full service. Mm-hmm. Well said. Um uh, let's kind of talk a little bit more about what does make a business franchisable. Uh, you know, obviously, let's, with the the franchisor, the founder that is taking their concept, packaging it to franchise it, they have to be financially healthy. Are they properly 
funded to make it happen because there is a cost associated with taking your concept and franchising it. Yes. Uh, so need to be properly funded. Is it something that can be taught to others? You know, to your to your point about the system, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Sure, you, you have to have a system, but is it something that can easily be taught and transferred to other business owners so they can run the operations? There are so many businesses out there that are that that have developed that way. You know, if you take a doctor or a lawyer or even an accountant and you say, all right, can we create another John Q in Toledo? Never. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, that's what's easy. How much of my business is just my my personality, my skill set, my my personal interaction with my clients? Mm-hmm. Can we take that and package it and move it over? Well, we're finding that, you know, in urgent care franchises and things like that, we can a little bit in the medical profession do things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, there are legal franchises or law firm franchises now out there um, that are doing that as, as sort of partnerships. And so it's a unique thing on how to package it. And, you know, like anything else, it all comes down to service and it all comes down to how do we take care of the clients and how do the f- clients feel leaving your place of business as opposed to how they felt when they walked in? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously in a restaurant, they walked in hungry. They came out, they weren't hungry, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, you know, I, I always say anyone that is thinking about going into business for themselves, mm-hmm. one of the key questions they need to be asking themselves is, how am I going to go about acquiring my customer base or my clients? How am I going to go about acquiring that? And then how am I going to go about keeping them, right? Right. Uh, so, yeah, you have two very key questions to ask yourself if you're moving into business. Well, well I, you know, I think there, there are some people that go into the business that say, I want to sell one thing to everybody in the world once. I don't care if they ever come back. And it's, it's, it, it is kind of a commodity. Mm-hmm. You know, it is buying blindly on Amazon as opposed to going into a store and touching and feeling. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, I mean, you look at retail businesses and the challenges they're having now to where they can't provide that value add of coming in and touching and feeling, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if you can't, then, then, then you're going to have that internet pressure. Mm. Yeah. Um, so kind of bringing this full circle again underneath, um, you know, is a concept franchisable? And as you know, one of the strengths behind franchising is building the brand, right? Brand awareness, which hopefully then what we're talking about right now will also help with customer acquisition because sure. you have that customer awareness. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that, um, you know, in speaking with someone that might be considering franchising their concept that we need to take a look at is, okay, well, what is what is your current brand name? Uh, is it a business name that can be trademarked, um, fed, you know, by federally right. registered? Is, is it... Um, is that possible? And if not, it's not necessarily mean doesn't mean that you cannot franchise it. It just means that you're going to have to take a step back and say, okay, how are we going to maybe rename or rebrand ourselves for franchising purposes? Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to consider when you're buying a franchise, how many locations do you have to have in a particular city before mm-hmm. you 
have brand identification. Yeah. You know, in Atlanta, is it 20? Is it 40? Is it 50? Is it 100? You know, in, in, in a smaller town, it might be less. In, in New York, you know, so that's all got to be factored in as well. And um, that gets into the whole development strategy, right? Mm-hmm. What is your development strategy as, a, as an emerging um, franchise system? And again, if someone is considering taking their concept and franchising it, we need to take, take a step back and, and say, let's take a look at you know, how many units can really be put in place. Right. Uh, and what does it take to support those units and have it make sense uh and you know very often we'll start off regionally and and then uh, you know recommend expanding from there because i think a myth going back to the earlier part of our conversation another myth that very often happens in the franchise world is that um oh you just build it and they'll come or (laughs) i just i just you know and and that is not that much work and it's a lot of work, right? There's there there's no question about it. And and again, if you if you're under the illusion that you're going to buy a franchise that has five locations in Houston or Dallas, and you're going to bring the first one to Atlanta, and you're going to have brand identification, you're mistaken. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So you you have to be strong on the sales and marketing side to get people to understand what this product is. That's right. And yes, brand is a um, obviously a great benefit of, a, a, let's say, a more mature franchise system. But sure. the majority of franchise systems are out there are, are, are smaller and emerging. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm going to tell a quick story here, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap up our show. Um, I was speaking to a um, someone who actually owned a couple of great clips and out on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And uh, she shared with me, she goes, no one knew when I came into the system who Great Clips were. So she goes, I did not have the benefits of the brand on the West Coast. She goes, so it took time to build it. It, it ended up, you know, obviously working out fabulously for her. But to your point, she had to, she, she really had to build that in that region, that area, just because it didn't have that brand recognition on that side of the country. <laughs> Absol- absolutely, yep. Mm-hmm. Well, John, I have to say, I have uh, it's just been such a pleasure having you on the show, not only as a guest, but actually as a co-host. And uh, you are always just such a wealth of knowledge. And um, I, ju- I just have to learn to be quiet every once in a while. Oh, that's all. <laughs> never. That that well, that would not make a radio show much fun if you were quiet, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. We got to we got to br- we got to br- bring out information from other people, right? That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. You know what? Uh, for our guests that are that are listening, um, would you mind um, just kind of sharing, just give a recap um, of your services and how someone could get in touch with you? Okay, sure. Uh, and I appreciate that opportunity. Absolutely. You know, I'm John Quatraki. I'm a CPA. Uh, I work on the north side of Atlanta, and we work with a lot of franchisors, franchisees, multi-unit operators, and other general business owners. You know, the cornerstone of our, our company is providing complete outsourced bookkeeping, accounting, taxes, and financial management. And we say from concept to implementation to success to legacy or empire building is what we like to 
be right next to the business owner the whole the whole way um, and the whole uh, process. Um, again, with you, I think when we first met, you were a W two employee working for a company. You mm-hmm. had your idea. <laughs> we implemented it. We've reached success, and now we're working on your empire building, right? (laughs) Absolutely. That's exactly right. All right. Speaking of empire building, Rich Casanova here on the Pro Business Channel. You're listening to Franchise Business Radio, and uh, we want to talk about Pam's empire building here, uh, the host. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Uh, Great show, by the way. I was uh, on social media. I was saying how... Uh, not only amazing the content from the from your guest earlier, mm-hmm. uh, the call-in guest, but um, I'm thinking I should buy. I should talk to John about money and buying a uh, that self storage facility <laughs> <coughs> franchise. I mean, it has so many um, upsides to it. Yes. This whole idea of and um, so we're going to talk after the show, but uh, get all my my money in the row here. But there you um, go. <laughs> but first of all, so Pam, um, talk to us a little bit about your empire and what you do, what hats that you wear in the franchise industry. We know that you're over 20 years in franchising, traditional corporate America, um, and you have a unique perspective from that standpoint. But how do you help uh, you know people on a regular basis? Yeah, uh, I, I actually, as, as you know from previous shows, I, I do work with individuals who are considering business ownership, kind of like what John and I were talking about earlier, is is really kind of coming in and, and helping someone do that analysis of what is it you're looking for in a business? What, you know, and then from there, I'm able to recommend several businesses for consideration and really hold their hand through the process and right. hopefully help them be effective in doing their due diligence in determining what is going to be a good franchise for them. That business matchmaker, yeah. Yeah, that business <laughs> matchmaker. And then above and beyond that, as you know, I, I do... Um, you know, I've seen the franchise business model from all different right. perspectives. So that really puts me in a position of being able to consult and work uh, with franchisors, uh, depending on where they are. And um, if you do have someone, we were talking about uh, someone who might want to take their concept and franchise it. Right, right. Uh, if that's the case, you know, obviously reach out to me. I, I can guide you to the appropriate resources there. I'm, right. I'm quite the franchise connector. Right. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, I mean, especially, you know, if you're going to take $400,000 as a down payment into a business, uh, that's a decision that you shouldn't take lightly. You shouldn't take on your own. You should you should talk to somebody that's been in the industry that's an expert that knows what she's doing and then can guide you and direct you as far as what is the best place for you and how does that, how does that all work? Yeah, not just picking a franchise from flipping through a book or whatever, a directory. Exactly. And uh, one thing that's unique, um, people may take, may not be aware of. I mean, we, we know it because we've been doing the show for so long, and you know it as an industry expert or insider. But um, they can consult with you, and there's no fees involved, right? That's right. It's it's complimentary. It's yeah. uh, business model is very similar yeah. to what I call corporate recruiter, you know. Yeah. Uh, compensated by the franchise or when we bring them that qualified franchisee, which means these services and finding a business are complimentary and free to the individual. And for the franchise or it's a great program too, because you've kind of vetted them and they've uh, rather than just they're one of a hundred different franchises. They're just, um, you know, searching randomly and making those phone calls and emails and taking up their time. And they're not really qualified or have the finances or it's not a good fit when they, 
when you connect with them many times, this this is what they've decided to do. Yeah, it's a, it's a it really is a perfect business model because all of the parties involved win. You know, yeah, yeah. the individual gets a free consultation. The franchisor has uh, someone that's helping recruit qualified right, yeah. franchisees, and obviously, I'm being appropriately compensated for my services by the franchisor. Yeah. I don't know if you have time to talk about training that you do also, right? Yeah, in the a little, little bit of a passion of mine. Yeah. By the way, I'm, I'm going to put a little plug out there. You know, as a franchise consultant, you are typically affiliated with a network. Okay. And I'm affiliated with Network FranServe and uh, definitely planning on having the new uh, leadership oh, of really? FranServe on the show in the future. Oh, nice. Uh, and not only do I am I affiliated with this particular network, I'm also the director of training. So what I do is, is I train other consultants on how to be effective as a business matchmaker yeah, yeah. to use your words. Right, right, right. Wow. <laughs> um, and uh, speaking of future shows, a little teaser as well in an upcoming, stay tuned for an upcoming episode, uh, one of your uh, newest um, uh, guests are coming, franchises talking about social media, right? That's so there's, right. you may have a social media and it's a, a franchise, right? Do you know what? I, I'm going to have to learn a little bit more okay, about yeah, it. Yeah. I think he might be a resource that serves franchises. I don't okay. think they are necessarily. We'll, we'll find out. Yeah, exactly. We, yeah. Stay tuned. Stay as we tuned. Say. <laughs> right. That's a nice teaser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. John, Pam, we'll see you guys next time. Closing Thank you, thoughts. Rich. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Rich. Absolutely. Our pleasure. Thank you again for joining Pam Curie and her guests on the Pro Business Channel. Use the social media links here to share today's show and stay tuned for the next episode of the Franchise Business Radio Show.